Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, presented, of course, by Esports Network. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm joined by Brian Herrant, who's formerly a co-owner of Beyond the Summit, and he started at Fandom earlier this year, first the director of integrated marketing, and as of this month, is now the director of gaming content. Brian, thank you for joining me. Happy to be here. So we're going to be talking about his role at Fandom, some of his previous stops, including BTS, and really creating content in the gaming world, as well as wherever this conversation takes us. So I want to start with Beyond the Summit, because it's a company that most esports fans are well aware of. What were the early days of that company like? You were a co-owner back in 2014, I believe you started. So take me through what the BTS scene looked like back in those days. Yeah, so um, I started at Beyond the Summit uh, in January of 2013, um, and as you can probably uh, guess from watching some of the first Dota summits, uh, it was definitely the Wild West for us. Um, we were, uh, I was, I think, the, the second employee at the company at that point, um, fulfilling a multitude of roles from, uh, you know, talent to in-game statistics production, business development, really, we were all kind of carrying our weight and doing a lot of different things on top of, you know, being Dota talent and keeping up with the very uh, intense world that was professional Dota at the time. Um, but yeah, it was very much a, you know, your your Silicon Valley uh, TV show style of, you know, a bunch of just dudes living in a house trying to make something awesome together. That's so cool. Did you know that you had something big or was it touch and go? Where did this start and when did you realize, you know, how big this was going to grow? Yeah, I think I think looking back now, it's kind of easy to see where we we saw success. And uh, I think we were probably not even aware of how, how well certain things were going for us. I mean, things were always kind of um, not necessarily, I would say, up in the air because we were doing well and we, everything was kind of falling into place and we, were, we had a good business going. But there were a lot more um, kind of unsure aspects going on. Um, you know, at the time of us, you know, broadcasting in 2013, there was still like when we when we first really were broadcasting. You know, Twitch had not really become that firm brand yet. You know, we were still competing with other groups that were taking deals from like Owned TV and some of these other groups. And so it was really about us kind of figuring out where where we landed. Um, but we knew we had something special in terms of the, the community that we had kind of grown up around us. Um, we were really proud of, um, proud and frustrated at times by how passionate our, our, our fan base was. Um, Beyond the Summit started before I even joined with a Kickstarter that got um, David uh, Parker and David Gorman to Los Angeles to start their studio. So from the very outset of the company, it was much, it was very much focused on you know delivering the best content for our fans. And so I think we cared more about that than we cared about concurrent numbers or, you know, even like revenues from, from Twitch that we had coming in. It was really about making sure that, that our, our community felt like we were doing them right. Um, and so that's always a, a, t a tentative and tough game to play because you want to do the best you can for them. Um, and people are really, really adamant about letting you know how they feel, right? So. Yeah, esports fans are certainly not shy about letting you know. Not. <laughs> the, Absolutely not. I blame Twitch chat for that because they're so used to being able to eject their opinion whenever they want. 
that it's just a, a constant stream of criticism, sometimes praise, but just often criticism, and it transfers over to other social medias as well. It's just, oh my lord, if you do something wrong, they're going to let you know about it. Right, yeah. Reddit was not very, uh, was pretty oh. uh, toxic at that time for the Dota community as well, so... Uh, it was it was definitely a fun thing to be a part of. <laughs> I used to publish some of my articles on Reddit. I don't do it anymore. I I'd like text them or I send a message to the moderators and be like, hey, is it okay if I publish this article? It's relevant to you. I'm not getting paid off right. clicks. And they're like, yeah. And then I do it and I start reading the comments and be like, you know what? I'm just gonna yep. I'm just gonna not do this gonna anymore. Not. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually how I got my start into uh, working in esports in general. Was I was. I had too much time on my hands as a recent college graduate um, right in 2012 and was uh, writing a bunch of articles um, like in my head and doing some basic like statistical stuff and I would just post them to Reddit. I would be like, hey guys, you know, I looked at these last 100 games and, you know, looked at the first 10 minutes of the game and took down in a Google spreadsheet. I don't even know if Google spreadsheets existed back then. Surely did at some point. Um, <laughs> And put them all down in a Google spreadsheet and, you know, determine which tower falls first on Dire Radiant or, you know, how that, you know, contributes to win percentages for both teams and what that means and yada, yada, yada. And I put all these hours into doing it. And, like, the first, the top two upvoted comments were like, yeah, this data is terrible. You're not really taking this into account. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. And the second comment was like, hey, dude, you know there's a website that already has all this data. You didn't have to look through VODs for 20 hours to get this information out. And that mm-hmm. second comment was a lot more helpful because <laughs> it introduced me into like how to actually read APIs and work for websites that – or work with websites that did do API reading for stats. But whew, first couple attempts were, were rough. Yeah, those – the the Reddit comments are so so brutal. I did uh, actually got my first esports job. Very similar situation to you. Fresh out of college, knew I wanted to be in esports. I studied sports broadcasting. I was like, esports is just a better industry. I'm more passionate about it. Let's do that. Right. And I saw an ad on our esports. It said Hearthstone writers wanted, and I was like, all right. I play way <laughs> too much Hearthstone. I think I can write about it. I did it. I did my first article. I found the most expensive decks that were ever top tier. I did exactly what you did, which I went through everything on Tempo Storm, the the meta snapshot, every single deck that was in tier one, and then I calculated how much dust it costed. So it took me, you know, 20 hours at at least to go through all of those, figure out the most popular ones, look look at the dust outputs, compile them all. First comment... You could probably guess it is saved you a click. Here are the five decks. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I was like, oh, you're oh, kidding. I was like, work. yeah, I also wrote about them and about how they their place in the meta and the the different. No, okay, 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 that's fine. So yeah, learned a valuable lesson that day that uh, Reddit is going to do everything they can to shortchange your work. <laughs> Uh, good times, good times. So we're definitely going to talk a lot about fandom. Uh, but while we're still on the topic of BTS, I really want to ask you somebody. I love talking to people in the Dota scene around this time because I think it's one of the coolest individual scenes during a time in esports. Because in 2013, Dota 2 t- prize pool, Valve finally starts the revenue sharing to the TI prize pool. goes up to right. 2 million and change. Right. 2014... It's 11 million, 10.9, I believe. What's it like being in the Dota 2 scene as this influx of money comes in? I mean, this is unprecedented in esports to this point. 
It was really insane because the, the thing about it, too, is uh, in 2011, you know, the International One being a million dollars was unprecedented. Right, um, right. That was right after the Call of Duty one did did a right. did a million and it was like and then Dota 2 was like oh no we're doing this too and we're doing it every that, that Call of Duty was a one-off yeah 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 right exactly yeah like the million dollar tournaments had been done before um but they had not been done in kind of like a sustainable kind of way they had been like really large pushes or like marketing things around something uh there had been some stuff I think MLG had maybe got up to a million dollars with some Halo stuff back in the 2000s but this yeah. was really kind of the first time that everyone was like really paying it like mega paying attention across the industry kind of outside of esports even because of who was pulling it off and valve um and so that was crazy and then you know three years later it gets growing and growing and growing and uh 2013 ti3 uh was actually the first land that i ever worked at so that was a, a bit of a culture shock for me um so i ran in-game statistics uh, for the 2013 International, which was the last one at Benaroya Hall in Seattle. And then, you know, next year suddenly I'm back here in Seattle, but I am behind a giant curtain in Key Arena where the Supersonics used to play, surrounded by, you know, three times as much production as there were last time. And people are playing for $12 million, and it was absolutely insane. Uh, because Benaroya was kind of, you know, quaint. I was watching players, you know, go up onto the stage and, you know, saying hi to the guys from Team Liquid that I knew because I had wrote for Team Liquid for a while. Um, but the the jump from 2013 to 2014 was something something else. I think that was a moment. I was in college at the time, and I think that was a moment where I saw that I was like, oh, esports is is big, big. I, sh- I need to start looking right. at this like a career, not just as a hobby. I'm like, oh, this is fun. I like competitive gaming. I'm a huge gamer. And then, yeah, that jump, $11 million in prizes, Key Arena in 2014. I'm like, whoa, okay, this is this is real. And that's when I started really like focusing in my attention on esports as an industry. And probably why I'm in it now was, was sort of the things that were happening right there in the Dota 2 scene. Because that also brought all that mainstream attention. When you jump the prize pool like that, like I noticed on, uh, you have a GQ video linked where they have the capital S, which is classic for mainstream media in <laughs> in that time frame. Uh, but it's just it that also brought so much more attention, and the Dota two really deserves so much credit for being the pioneer in these prize pools. Like the Fortnite World Cup doesn't exist without TI. No, it doesn't. I don't think a lot of this kind of idea of developers really understanding that esports is a very tangible marketing outlet for mm-hmm. for their business exists without the international. Because that was the first kind of thing where Valve doesn't spend money on advertising. <laughs> they, they don't spend money on anything. They, international, right? they just put it all into the TI prize pool and some development. They have a staff of like 300 people. It's actually insane. Yeah, we always used to make the joke at when we were at, at BTS where um, we would say that you had to have like a PhD in astrophysics and speak Farsi to be the janitor at Valve because <laughs> they just like only that. have these like exceptionally brilliant people and they're all very passionate. The teams are so small and they all work so hard and they just don't really care about, you know, the standard things that a business would care about, like, you know, marketing. <laughs> it's just like they don't do paid advertising they just don't performance marketing is not a thing for them they just run giant tournaments and they're like yeah that's enough we don't need ads 
if I do a story with uh, like Riot or Blizzard or somebody where you can get comment pretty easily, I suppose that they're open to right. it and it, it has Valve, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to really need some other pieces because, you know, I'm not getting anything from Valve. And then everybody laughs because it's just, you, there's no, yeah. there's no way of, I don't even know where I'd start. I, I've been in this scene for a long time. I, I write for Adweek for about esports and gaming and I don't even know who I'd reach out to to get a comment from Valve. I really don't black box yeah it's just it just goes right into a shredder my email gets goes in prints out right into a shredder it's like okay that was fun they're definitely a unique player in the space what i really appreciated about valve though was working with them they were always very i think their first assumption was always that we were going to do the, th the things correctly or we were going to do right by them um they have a very laissez-faire approach towards licensing esports events. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, that's tied up a little bit with the DPC going on. But back in the day, you know, there wasn't any of like concerns around you know a group of dudes in a house in Los Angeles throwing a tournament. You know, we didn't get calls at midnight going, "What are you guys doing? You can't do this." Which you know, for a lot of developers now, they want to be very careful with their IP. They don't want to give out a license to just anybody to run an event, even if it's a smaller one. And so I do appreciate the fact that Valve kind of trusted us so much. Maybe they just didn't have the time to, to, to worry about it. But we, it really gave us the freedom to, to, to build what we built. And they built so many esports brands because of that freedom with licensing. I mean, you look at DreamHack or ESL. Those are games that really made their mark by running events through... Uh, valve titles because valve wasn't right. running the tournament so the third party tournament organizer scene that's so key in esports is really came from valve's hands-off approach if everybody did it like riot and blizzard those third party tournaments would be really fringe maybe fighting game based uh but yeah that's valve deserves a lot of credit because those are you know main brands in esports and they're built because valve was like yeah you're you're welcome to take this we have enough revenue coming in this way that you can just go build this entire thing and we will we'll support it right bit. there's a lot to be said both ways and pros and cons of both systems but it right. really it really worked for us definitely so you've been in esports in sub capacity since 2012 you mentioned those early posts on reddit do you think yeah. the industry is changing quicker now, or do you think it was changing quicker back when you first started in the 2012-13 range? That's a really good question. I think certain things are are changing faster and certain things are, are, are slowing down. I think um, at, I would have told you a year ago that game titles are, are, are jumping up and dying off a lot quicker than they were back then, but we've kind of seen a bit of a slowdown in terms of there is no, there hasn't been a big new uh killer esports title that really was launched in 2019 maybe maybe some things can be said towards the auto battlers that's as what like i was gonna say auto. but they haven't um, really built out the scene yet for the esports right. scene for those. the scene has not been built out and you can't even compare them to the you know the reach that battle royale titles had you know mm -hmm. a couple of years back um so i think that um things are things are changing at a similar rate i think things are slowing down in terms of uh i think I think the big frontier back then was how do we make this content? How do we produce this content? How do we get it onto a platform? Because there was still, we were, I was learning how to use cameras and, and XSplit and OBS and what a bit rate meant and all of that stuff when we were getting started. Like we all kind of started from zero. Um, and so 
we were all self-taught broadcasters, right? And so now there's this kind of baseline of production expected out of just about every kind of esports event. It was not uncommon in 2013 to, you know, log on to a Beyond the Summit broadcast and there still accidentally be music from the break playing five minutes into the, to the Dota 2 match. Not that that doesn't happen now, but <laughs> it was still like we were learning a lot more about how to produce an event and what it takes to make an event look good um, than groups are now. Like that's kind of been figured out. The look has been set. People know what's expected. Um, and that has really improved. I would say what's mainly changing is the the capital involved and the money involved and the, the pressures involved. Um, the amount of VC that's in the industry, um, for good and ill, um, is, is the thing that's changing the most rapidly because it's making to where the, the outputs of each of these events are not just about, you know, growing your Twitch channel or doing good things for the one group that's sponsoring your event. You might have this larger, longer-term strategy because you're a VC-backed company with expectations and all these other things. I think that's the biggest thing that's changed from here to then. It's just the amount of capital that has been injected into the space. Yeah, it really seems like every day on Twitter I'm seeing some other venture capitalist or millionaire or billionaire talking about the viability of esports. It's either right. Cuban talking it down or I saw somebody else right. talking it up this morning. It's getting a little exhausting uh just seeing people Don't disagree with you there <laughs> it, it's it's funny because it's just like okay esports you guys shouldn't be entering esports if you want a five-year return esports is 15 years in yeah. the future everyone's gaming go into a high school right now what are they doing they're every single one of them's gaming when they're 30 years old they're going to be spending a lot of money on competitive video games that's a it's an right. easy easy sell so the this all this like revenue versus valuations, I, I it, they're all future valuations. They, that's what right. they should be. And people who are entering this industry to turn a quick buck are in the wrong industry. I would I would one hundred percent agree with that. Um, I think I believe I was I was reading through. I think Bryce uh, uh, Esports Law had a really good take um, where he was saying that like you know things in esports are doing really really well like they, we, we get we get harmed by, by some of these very overblown um you know industry reports or overblown articles that are talking about how you know every esports event is filling a stadium and there's going to be 30 mm -hmm. billion in revenue next year nobody actually said that but you know what i'm saying like it's one of those things where we really need to like be honest with ourselves that we're in a good spot. Like esports is performing really, really well. When you compare esports to any other like professional sport, like it has really taken on to where in most places it is one of the more popular things for people to 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 perform with or to watch. Like there's no doubt in my mind that esports is a lot larger than something like the WNBA, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of you know total reach, and that is a very mature very like successful professional sport with a lot of investment a lot of sponsors a lot of things going on i it's to, to say that we're you know competing with baseball you know some landmark temple events get more viewers worldwide than the world series absolutely but at the end of the day you know minor league baseball is still putting like you know five thousand people in seats in richmond virginia every weekend and that's not necessarily something esports is, is able to do yet but but we can absolutely get there um, like where I said, like he has no doubt that in 15 years, the two largest, um, sports in the world are going to be, uh, soccer 
and some video game title that hasn't been released yet. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, it's about having smart, sustainable growth that is helpful in the industry and kind of brings everyone together and brings everyone along for the ride. It's not about this kind of um, cash grabby, quick response, quick turnaround, like hyper uh, inflated growth that, that pe- some people want to make it to be. Right. Yeah. The the classic headline, League of Legends has more viewers than the Super Bowl. It's like, well, now you're not talking about how the track viewers versus viewership. We're not also, doing apples to apples. You yeah. know, Nielsen and, and, you know, there's a lot of groups that are looking to do a better job of like, I, I personally, as someone who's involved on the business side of esports, would love a better apples to apples explanation of, you know, this is what viewership is like for an event. This is how it would compare to a Nielsen overnight. They're um, sort of working know, on it. They are working on it. Nielsen's yeah. doing a lot of work on it. Because previously, even on the in the the website um, like display media business uh, that Phantom has a lot of things in, we we you know, we do this. We have to use everything through this website called Comscore. I don't know how familiar you are with Comscore, but they're kind of Nielsen-esque in that they are expected to be the the one source of truth for your traffic. So, what types of users are coming to your website? What's their age range? Um, and that is what if you go into a meeting with. Anheuser Busch, and you're pitching. These are our websites. This is what they have. This is what our audience is like. If you're not coming with Comscore data, they're not going to listen to you. If you go to them, like, oh, these are what our Google Analytics numbers say. They're going to be like, what is that? We have no idea what that is. We don't <laughs> trust that. Um, and so, esports really needs something like that because I can go with like concurrent users from Twitch. I can go with viewer minutes. I can go with you know engagement time, chat activity, and they're just so ambiguous for a lot of people right now. There's not a good way to compare and contrast it with other other events or even, you know, standard linear TV um, programming. Yeah, the Nielsen is working on this average minute audience AMA stat, which is how they track it in households. And that's in the early steps. They, they released some data for the Overwatch finals about AMA data. And I talked with uh, somebody from Blizzard. I can't remember who right now. But it was her quote was that, uh, the data, the AMA data shows that esports, or the Overwatch League in, in particular, maybe it's esports, I can't remember, one of the two, is outpacing the MLB and the MLS in the 18 to 34 demo. I and, would agree with that. And she's like, that's a great stat, but it doesn't look great compared to the blown up stats we've had in the past, but that's a great stat. That That shows that we're in a good spot here. We don't need to be already beating the NBA. We're we're beating these established sports leagues right now and we're growing in a young demo. Like this is all we don't we don't need to overinflate or do anything like that. This is a great stat. We're gonna run with this one. Right. No, I agree with that. And I think you only have to look at Thursday night football on Twitch, right? I mean, by and large, if you're which I think is amazing that we have Thursday night football on Twitch. But yeah. you know, twenty, thirty thousand people are watching Thursday night football on Twitch. Whereas if the LCS was happening that weekend, or not even the LCS, let's say like a, the NA Finals for the LCS, mm-hmm. you would see significantly more than 30,000 people watching that, right? So it's clear that, you know, this younger audience, at least the Twitch audience, the live streaming, you know, I watch all of my content online audience is more interested in esports than baseball um, or American soccer. Uh, I don't think that's crazy to say by any stretch. Um, yeah. We just have to, you know, keep keep grinding away that you know this is growing and it's going to be sustainable and this is how we're going to do it 
instead of chasing um, the, the big VC bucks with inaccurate numbers, right? Yeah, because that, that money, if you scare that money away early with inaccurate numbers and they don't see the returns that they should see on those numbers, then they're out. And we've already seen a little bit like with the horrible thing that went down with Optic where Immortals right. gets in, puts a bunch of money in, apparently don't understand the business they're getting into. And then Optic is basically stripped away within right. the span of a year. Which And Echo Fox, I know, has a bigger right. problem outside of just the finances, but they pretty much pulled out as well right they're, yeah they're um, they're pretty gone at this point it seems like which is which is again real to have optic and echo fox both go down in this what is really feels like a golden age for esports money with all the money coming in it's sad right. to see two established brands really fall fall down um, obviously very different reasons for those two right. uh implosions but yeah so let's talk a little bit of fandom. We're 25 minutes into this podcast, and we need to talk about the site you're working for now. About my current job, yes. Yes, <laughs> we've talked a lot of esports history, which I always love talking esports history. Uh, but you're only one month into this new role as the ga- director of gaming content. How are you adjusting? Was this a was this a big shift from what you've done previously, or does this feel pretty natural to you? It's pretty natural. So um, I have I have been effectively in uh, in the same spot in the same role for the last um, nearly three years now. So I'm I'm based out of Huntsville, Alabama. Um, I moved to Alabama. It's where I'm from. It's where I'm raised. It's where my wife uh, was graduating medical school when I left Beyond the Summit. Um, and so was extremely extremely fortunate to fall into a really exciting role here uh, at what was formerly Curse in Huntsville. Um, Curse was owned by Twitch and Amazon at the time, so I got to work with a lot of the people at Twitch. Um, they were acquired by Fandom at the beginning of this year, and that's when I moved from my previous role into a role of integrated marketing, which was um, a way of uh, a way of us trying to describe how the content that me and my team was creating was helping promote and market our brands across Fandom. Um, and so we do a lot of stuff with esports, but I also do a lot with our D&D Beyond product here that's developed out of Huntsville, Alabama, which is the digital way to play Dungeons and Dragons. And so a lot of my job is making content for that as well. Um, and now just recently kind of firming the, the, the dedication to content creation uh, with this focus and move over to director of gaming content. Um, so less involved with the day-to-day uh, marketing processes, more involved with the making sure that we're creating fantastic content. What does fantastic content look like on Fandom? If you had to describe like what the site offers, how would you do that? Right. It's tough, and it's something that we're trying to learn ourselves. Um, I would say it depends on our community. Uh, we have uh, Fandom itself aims to be the destination for all fandoms, whether that's esports, whether that's entertainment, Game of Thrones, whether that's you know, you're really into... 1970s muscle cars you know the the hope of fandom is that we can be the destination for you to kind of express your love of a certain thing in pop culture right um so we we have kind of been evolving what we think great content is um for a lot of our sites a lot of that is user generated content on wikis and we're trying to figure out you know hey what kind of content can we make that best serves them? That is like content that people come onto our wiki and actually want to watch or want to take part in, whether that's you know exclusive AMAs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for the for the esports side and for the D and D Beyond side, one of the things that we've really been pushing is um, community engagement. So for for D and D Beyond, a big thing of what we do is every week we're doing development updates of uh, 
what is happening, what new features we're bringing out. You know, we play D&D once a week with a, with a cast of people, and we do, like, interviews once a week that is, like, specifically for our D&D Beyond community. On the esports side, we look at what some of our most successful communities are, uh, and we try to create content that they can enjoy. Um, for a really long time, we ran um, Curse Trials, which is a player in the Battlegrounds tournament um, in uh, 20, uh, 2018 for a really long period of time. I think we were running that event for nearly nine months. And that was really an outgrowth of, you know, we have this really active PUBG community on both the PUBG Wiki, a couple of other websites that were in our network that were like stats websites. And so, like, how can we try to bring this community together and kind of tie in both this community engagement, but also this longer ter term, like, I am watching this content because I like it. Like, I'm clearly a PUBG fan. I want to see this content. Um, so it's been an evolving Thing for us because I think anytime that you're not making content on like YouTube or Twitch it's difficult right because they're really the main people in the space or Facebook or any of the main platforms but but we're really trying to, to figure out you know what our what our space in that world is definitely just looking at the site the comp that immediately came to my mind was the ringer in terms of how you serve different communities and sort of the angle of a lot of the pieces on there it felt Sort of like the ringer meets the verge. That was like where I was seeing uh, seeing some content. Then obviously a very unique flair for fandom itself. But you're only right, yeah. And then that's kind of our our main landing page and catch all for for fandom. Like um, mm -hmm. our our main like we what we do and what we are is stretched out over you know tens of thousands of of wiki platforms and unique websites and fan destinations and events. And stuff as well so we have so much that we are kind of doing on a day-to-day -day basis um including off-platform channels that we're making content on like our fandom list switch channel um i'm working very closely with the group screen junkies so if you're familiar with the honest trailers people um they're part of the fandom brand and we work closely with them as well yeah the the wiki thing is super interesting because that's something that very few sites have in terms of like these resources that are updated and can serve as uh, landing pages, especially for people writing articles or trying to learn right. more about something. So what does it take from your perspective to keep those updated? Are you checking those? Are you fact checking those? Or how do you make sure that they are, you know, everything that needs to be on there is on there and it's right. Right. We have a robust community team. So we have a lot of the wiki content is, is user generated content. So mm -hmm. just like Wikipedia, a lot of it is, is self-policed because even a lot of it is not, you know, factually, you know, objective content. Right. Um, but when it comes to some factually objective content, we have some really awesome folks on our, on our platform that really make sure that that happens. Um, we have, for example, if you're familiar with Leakpedia, Leakpedia is a fandom website. Um, and we have a fantastic, uh, admin there in River, who just is on top of literally everything that comes and goes on that website, make sure everything is, is fact checked and done to go, and she's full time with us. So, oh, I didn't um, know Leakpedia was fandom. I that I owe you yeah. a a sincere sincere thank you for all the <laughs> all those things I've sourced off of there. Uh, just pulling up even before we started this, I wanted to ask about TI prize pools, and I pulled up Leakpedia to to see the TI prize pool. So it's or yeah, I guess that, Dotapedia, right? That's very emblematic of of kind of the problem we have at fandom right is we have a lot of very successful outlets websites resources content creators 
And what we're really trying to do is to, to do a better job of tying that all together and for people to realize that, oh, Phantom is the one who's providing this for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Phantom owns the Gamepedia brand. So any any game wiki that you're going on that's Gamepedia branded is, is Phantom. So the Dota 2 wiki, which was my lifeblood for four years, is, is a Phantom product that we develop in-house. Um, and we you know make sure the lights stay on and, and work and make sure that the content is, is accurate. Um, you know, the Screen Junkies people that do the honest, the honest trailers that I was talking about before, um, they're, they're a big part of the content that we're making. But we're trying to really try to take that next step and to, to bring it all together. Yeah, that is, I mean, just a fandom sticker at the, maybe it has one. I always skipped over it, but I've spent so much time on Leakpedia. I have to imagine I would have seen it at some point. <laughs> you scroll down to the footer, you'll see it. Oh, it's in the footer. Okay. Yeah, you got to yeah. put that up in the header. You deserve a header. You do. Well, you know, we try. It, we, it's, a, it's a balance to strike, right? Because sure. we're trying to do this in a way that people uh, come about it naturally. We don't want people to feel overwhelmed. A big, a big push and pull for us is trying to make sure that we always do right by our communities. Um, that hasn't always been the case uh, that we've done right by groups. Like there's been pushback. There's been ways that we've been trying to make sure that our, our wiki platforms feel like they're in the right spot and that we're serving them correctly. Um, but at the same time, you know, we want to, we want to make sure it doesn't feel like slam bam takeover of everything. We're trying to do things in as organic as a way of pop as possible. Right. Um, but that sure. visibility is something that's super important. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I just, just think that I, I think every single esports person, whether they're on Reddit or they're a writer, which if you could combine those two factors, Leakpedia is just such a helpful resource. It's where people yeah. turn to when they're like, wait, how did the 2017 worlds go? How did, uh, right. what's, what, who, who are these, what are these teams records? Where, where's the CSGO scene at? Especially for the esports right. that you're not on the day to day. It's like, wait, who won that major? What happened here? If you're writing an article or you're writing one of those Reddit posts, you need the concept from Leakpedia because it just serves as that dictionary of oh okay here's the result here's what happened because there's no way to keep up with everything that's happening right exactly so how do you source people for leaguepedia how do you find people and know that they're trustworthy that you can put the the site in their hands and they'll edit it and keep it accurate that is a question you would have to give to river uh so i am not very much involved in the day-to-day operations of of the site like leaguepedia like i said we have so many uh wikis and websites and platforms that we're a part of um, it's really, it's really my job to be creating the content that's going to serve a community like, uh, Leakpedia in terms of Twitch content or YouTube content, video content, um, that kind of thing more than it's going to be like the operations of, you know, of the website here and there. I know they have a very robust application and volunteer process and do stuff to the discord. Um, but mm-hmm. beyond that, I, I can speak to it. Definitely. So You've been at Fandom doing the directing games content for a month. What are what is either your favorite or some of your favorite articles that you've published while you've been in this role that really stand out? First thing that comes to your mind. Yeah, so um, we uh, the only group that I'm really managing editorial for um, is going to be D and D Beyond. Um, so with that title of director of gaming content, a lot of the stuff that we even post on like fandom.com or on our individual communities those individual communities have leads that are in charge of the content that they post there um so in terms of like the amount of content that i'm proud of the the content that i'm mostly proud of is the stuff that we're putting on twitch and youtube um some of the content that we're putting in the editorial and D beyond 
Um, so I'm really happy about, I know you've talked to this guy before, the, the mud-headed, foot-head content that we've been putting out over the last two months. I manage those products as those are also fandom brands. So the, the Friday Night Football uh, interview you had with Zan, I think a couple of weeks back, um, is managed under my portfolio of like esports content that we do. I'm really proud of that stuff. We've just kicked off a, a Tuesday Night Football FIFA um, tournament that we've been running on Tuesdays, sponsored by Trojan, that I'm really happy with. Um, we have our, our score of the night segment that I was really happy that we could weasel in there with Trojan for. Um, and uh, we're about we're set to announce a, a new tournament series that we'll be kicking off in early December uh, that I can't talk about quite yet because we haven't secured everything. But um, I my main focus in content is the creation of esports tournaments uh, and video content for our platforms, not so much the the day to day article work. Um, so those are the things I've, I've been most proud about recently. Gotcha. That's really cool. And I'm happy to link some of that stuff. I'll, I'll link some stuff to the D&D uh, in the bio below so you can go check out what he's been working on over at Fandom for our listeners. And if you want to check out that podcast you just referenced, yeah, I talked to uh, Zach Neal, I believe is his name. Zan is his uh, his gamer tag. We, we had a long discussion about do you go by your gamer tag or by your actual name in, in interviews oh God, like this? I'm so glad I go by my actual name now. Woo. I... Yeah, I didn't really have a choice. My gamer tag is Rich Memes, and so I, if people wanted to take me seriously as a journalist, I thought you know I should probably just go yeah. by Mitch Reams, which yeah. is going to be a better better that. choice. But yeah, it's, it's always a fun I, question with people. I just had um, uh, Ben Goldhaber, who's Ben Fishticks Goldhaber, and I was like, we had a little right. talk about you know which which name do you prefer when it comes down to it and it's like it it comes from a lot of the old guard i think a lot of the at the time it was really a lot of journalists a lot of employees would would go by their gamer tag it's like yeah i'm an authentic gamer this is what i am online and now it's changing a little bit more it's just if your gamer tag sucks that was the problem (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah if you have a good gamer tag you're all good like uh like dk like that was that was a great gamer tag and he's a well-respected journalist by his gamer tag even though i don't even know his his real name but yeah like if i'm faker or i'm ninja like i'm never gonna go by my i'm never gonna go by my name are you you kidding me like my name is now synonymous with amazing like like even if i am just you know a a, sitting on a board of mixer in 20 years as ninja like i'm still gonna go with ninja (laughs) like you can't call me tyler blessing yeah i wish i uh i wish i'd known at the time I was creating my gamer tags on different platforms that this was actually going to be important to my future. I was just like, Oh, I'm just going to, oh I'll just name myself. This This is funny. And the rich memes is probably the tamest of all my different gamer tags. Oh, <laughs> uh, good times. Good times. So you've done that. And then, yeah, for, for that podcast with Zan, he's uh, in Mudhead, which is Madden ultimate team. So we talked about right. the state of Madden esports, Madden ultimate team and how it fits into the larger Madden ecosystem. And then what he's doing with fandom. It's a really good podcast. I love, I was so addicted to Madden ultimate team. My sophomore year in college, I just started grinding Madden ultimate team and got to a relatively high rank. Uh, and that was just, you know, one winter it was rainy in Oregon. I was like, you know what? We're just gonna grind Madden Ultimate we're Team. Grind, we're just gonna grind. Yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, I was a I was a big NCAA football player. In oh, love me some NCAA football. I grew up in Alabama, right? So the love sure. for college football is strong. I went to the University of Alabama, um, so I was there between 2009 and 20, uh, 2012, 2013, um, which you know saw a lot of national championships, three of them to be 
precise. Yes, yes, we're, we're well aware. Thank you. <laughs> Big college football fan there. So I'm, I'm excited about the newest NCAA regulations that will hopefully mean that we, we get those games back and, and those players get to see uh, see the money from their, their efforts. Yeah, that, that's a really cool step. And it's the best solution to get people paid is you can get paid off of your that's likeness cool. because that's it solves the problem of how do you pay everybody at every single team. It's like, okay, you know, if the random lacrosse player or the swimming player becomes famous enough that they get paid off their likeness, like a good example would be the UCLA gymnast, where most gymnasts are not going to get paid, but she became a viral sensation. And so she'd earn a lot of money for that because she's making a lot of money for the school. And it feels like the best solution to the complicated problem. Uh, as I mean, an Alabama, I, imagine I was like a at the star quarterback for for Alabama, right? And I was a huge gamer, and I loved to play Fortnite on the weekend. Yeah, and I was like just wasn't allowed to like benefit off of you know my Twitch donations, right? Because who I was. Oh, could you imagine if Tua started or if like a recruit started uh, started on Twitch? It's just like oh, twenty thousand dollar donation. That's a just casual, just popping in donations, but from right. boosters. I'm actually surprised that never happened. I'm surprised. I'm absolutely flabbergasted that there has never been an issue where an NCAA athlete started streaming. There probably is. There is. And I just I, I, yeah, I've talked to a uh, Victoria Jackson. She's a professor at ASU, and she told me about two Oklahoma State runners who were okay. previous gamers, and then they'd they actually stopped once they got into the NCAA. But before that, they were relatively big call of duty players i think it was and you know they'd made legit money off of their twitch stream and then the nca came in found that out and they were no longer they were stripped of their amateur status because i'd, I'd rather be a streamer i think the, the straight up <laughs> the potential earnings over time is a lot higher to just stay streaming than to try to be a athlete even in something like football that's really successful yeah, it's, it's absolutely true, and you could totally leverage. We're seeing it happen quite a bit with Juju Smith-Schuster and FaZe Clan, like the uh, yep. the overlap of the NBA, NFL, and the streaming world. Hey, this is another, maybe something for, for fandom, but there's some resource that shows all the athletes' Twitch channels and where you can find them and host different gaming sessions because you see them pop up on random people's streams, like when... Like uh, after Drake straight with uh, Ninja, you know him and Juju would would play, or Marshawn Lynch would play Call of Duty with somebody, and it's just like these random little things. I'm like that's there's a that that serves a community that I am a part of. I love to see. I love to watch that content, but it's hard to find. I never quite know who's streaming when or if they're streaming with an athlete. So I, I don't know. There's some database there that another, I, I would love. Another hour-long discussion, but the discoverability on Twitch is not terribly good. No, uh, no, it's in not. In my opinion. And so it's it's crazy to me to see the types of, like, celebrities that stream to no audience. Like, I, there are, like, you know, I know a ton of, uh, like, very, very well-distinguished writers and authors and musicians at, that stream, and they just don't really have a way besides, like, their, their own Twitter page to promote that they're live. Whereas like, I feel like the, the YouTube algorithm does a better job of like letting you know that this content is happening and you need to check it out. Right. And so if they're not on the front page of Twitch, it's just hard to find them. Right. Yeah, it is. I, uh, like last summer, about a year and a half ago, I was tapped by the national football post to create 
their esports section of the new National Football Post. It didn't last very long, but it was an interesting experiment for a little while because I really dove deep into where what NFL players are streaming and are into games, and it was so many of them. And I remember at one point I found Tyreek Hill, who's a star wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the He's been best. Very good on my fantasy team this year. Yes, he has been. He has been a absolute killer. I hope your fantasy team is doing well. Uh, and I, I found him and I, I followed him. He's like, oh, I'm live on Twitch. I, I followed all their Twitch channels for this. And he was streaming, like you said, to like 35 viewers. Right. Like, this is this is nuts. How it, there's no chat activity. He wasn't really engaging with chat. He didn't have a webcam on, but like you could hear his voice. And it's this is Tyree Kill. This is a guy who's one of the like probably. 30 most recognizable names in the entire NFL. He's a star wide out for one of the best teams and yet he's streaming to no viewers. So it's really interesting to me. It feels like an area of growth that if teams started promoting it more or players started promoting more or Twitch as Twitch tries to get into more traditional sports, they have like a section for athletes or something like that. I don't know that I think there's a, I think there's some, some area of room for growth in that area. Great. So that was basically everything I wanted to talk to you about, but I know we have a ton of freelance esports writers who listen to this podcast. Shout out to all my freelancers. Uh, and I saw on Twitter that you were looking for some freelancers. So I don't know if you're still looking for freelancers, but I'm curious when you get a pitch from somebody who's not involved with the organization, what are you looking right. for? What stands out to you? I think for us, so, um, what we're usually looking for when we're looking for freelancers or we're looking for stuff, it's usually because we have gotten a request in from a client or an agency. So we have had, you know, Coca-Cola or Anheuser-Busch or in name large brand um, reach out to us and say, hey, we want to do, we're wanting to cover this thing. We want to do this content. And if it's ever a situation where it kind of goes beyond our basic abilities uh, or we need a little extra help or we need, you know, other work, I just, you know, worked to, to find a, a freelancer to shoot some, you know, VR content for our team recently as well. It really just comes down to professionalism, um, experience and work, um, ability to, you know, write, I absolutely do your job well is clearly important, but to be able to showcase how you've done your job well, to re respond quickly, um, and to uh, really be able to express the, the voice that we're trying to get across with kind of the information that we give you. I mean, it's, it's rare that I am like really involved in like the article writing process for a client. Cause we actually have a team in fandom who is exclusively like it's their job to work on like sales programs for clients. Um, but historically that's what I've seen has been the most successful for us is it's really important to answer your emails real fast. It's important to be very professional. It's important to be able to write in a way that is very, um, if it's these kind of like paid sponsored posts in a very neutral way. Right. Um, and, it, but still kind of have a voice. And I know that's hard to say, like, it's hard to be like, be perfectly, be perfectly bland for a brand, but still have your own voice is, is like a huge catch 22. I, I understand that. But if it's something where you can kind of make it work, um, it, it, it showcases to us that, that you're, you're on top of it. Um, I think consistency is the thing that is the most important in this industry. It's about being consistent and it's about keeping up like positive connections with people so that, um, 
it's hard for me, even with my experience in esports, I don't have a Rolodex of all the good writers and artists and videographers out there, right? Mm -hmm. I still have to ask my friends, like, hey, who do you know that's really good at this? Who do you know that's really good at this? I have to ask my Twitter, hey, it's like, who's available to do this? Um, and it's like the only thing I even post on Twitter anymore because I'm, I'm off social media by and large, um, is that kind of stuff. It, so if you can maintain good relationships with people that you've worked with in the past so that they can give you strong referrals, if you're on top of it, if you're, if you're turning things in on time, if you're responding, if you're working through things quickly, that is the thing that's going to stick with people the most and it's going to get the most, I think, repeat work. Yeah, I, I noticed the, the people responding to you, and it was a lot of people who are really well established in the in the esports Absolutely. industry. And when you when you get a vouch like that from someone, I think it says a lot about that writer. Uh, just looking yeah, through it, I saw I remember seeing Adam Fitch, Richard Lewis, uh, Deja, who's Chelsea, I believe is her is her name. She's last I heard she was at Hotspot. I worked with her for a little while, but yeah, it's it, it's really cool to see all the different people that that come out and when you support it and we're such a supportive bunch of uh freelance esports writers where it's like yeah. somebody's looking for content here here are 10 people who would be happy to write something for you right now right and it's a tough space right now i'll tell it you is. Uh, it is it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world there's a, like i am not terribly versed in in the the writing even though i kind of got started writing articles for team liquid that was like the first thing i was doing that in the, the reddit post the team look at stuff came after that's not something that i've really developed or really like done a whole lot of work in because it's just it's so tough right now in the industry like figuring out what is the right crowd of, of like right style of written word like you've even seen it from the problems that like deadspin had where you mm -hmm. know this um, company comes in and they're like the only way we can make money off this website is to slam it with autoplay ads that play sound in 2019 um and that's a scary place to be in um, and so I think it's just really important to, to maintain those relationships and, and to do the work you can with integrity and consistency would be. Yeah, the, the Deadspin thing was, was really sad. Deadspin and Sports Illustrated going down in the span of like three weeks yeah. was was pretty brutal as a writer, just right. seeing two legacy brands like that be right. basically shelled and stripped down. Mm -hmm. And then you these like Newsweek where it's just like, oh, we care about SEO over everything else. Yeah, will it get clicks? We'll write the article about it, and it's like it doesn't have to be terribly good. We're just gonna have right. our, yeah. It's 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 tough in the esports content space for sure. I've done work for 10, 11 websites at this point, and I'm three years into the business, so it's, right. you know, it feels like pretty constant right. jumping. Um, I've luckily yeah. found a decent spot as a. I, I encourage a lot of freelancers if you're in the esports space find a mainstream publication that doesn't have anybody writing about it that's sort of what i found with Adweek, and it's a nice setup where there's they don't have anybody on staff who can cover brands entering esports and i did something similar with sport techie before that and just covering the tech of esports and that's an area i found that has the most consistent articles if you're freelancing but that's just a, a random tip out there for anybody listening um so, yeah, that was everything I want to talk about on fandom. Was there anything else you wanted to say about working for the site, your past history in esports, or really anything else? I think that, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot else to say. I just um, I, I want to say that I, I appreciate the, you taking the time with me. I appreciate every day that I'm in such a, a passion-based industry. I think anyone who is who's actually getting to work in this industry and put in good work, it's, it's so rewarding. 
Uh, for me in Huntsville, the only other options for me in town would be to be working for the military <laughs> on the local arsenal base that we have here. Uh, so I'm really happy that I get to, to do uh, esports work. I'm, uh, it's, I'm thankful for it every day. So I would say for a lot of people, even though it's really tough, like I would say be thankful that you get to work in an industry where you know your passions can really lead you, and passion is even important. Like it's like the job is is built upon your passion. Like the more passionate you are about a certain project or a certain game, the more that even shows through, right? Um, so yeah passion is is the most important thing sounds like we're in a pretty similar situation i'm in a small town in the southern oregon where i moved here because my girlfriend's a broadcast reporter here and yeah there's i could work for lithia motors that's like the other company in this area and i'm like i'm gonna stick with my esports gig in my home office (laughs) i actually the 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 other job that i interviewed for when i was here when i moved to huntsville because i actually moved back to huntsville with with not really any any prospects i was just moving to be back with with my wife um, because i've been gone for three years and i got a job at nasa or i'd gotten a job application that i put in at nasa because space camp is here in huntsville there's a big nasa installation and it was to you know manage and produce and run their their live streaming stuff and I talked to him about it. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd love to do this. It sounds fun. And they're like, oh, you're going to love this. You're going to love Bubba. He's such a great guy. You're just going to have a blast with Bubba live streaming. I'm like, I don't actually know if I will. <laughs> and so that kind of scared me. It's like the idea of like, even if I'm working at NASA, it might be, it was one of those like contractor things where the only thing that I was important, like the only thing that was important was maintaining 99.9% of time of the broadcast, right? It wasn't going to be doing fun things or making unique changes. It was going to be about maintaining a contract right so very happy to be where i'm at yes yeah me too i think that's the common thread that for all the faults of the esports industry most people are pretty happy they're in it because it can do something they love each and every day so i'm gonna let you go first my condolences on Tua's injury that's brutal but i think alabama has enough <laughs> national championships that you can uh you can take a year off probably slip in as fourth somehow like we always manage no no that's my spot for oregon thank you very much we are going to take that this year uh-huh sure we'll see pack 12 after dark man you never know what's gonna happen hey we deserve we get a year we deserve one shot at it <laughs> you've had you plenty. Shot. You're off to Auburn. well okay i guess that was, yeah, yeah, I that was pre but that was pre we, we we had another shot we beat florida state and then lost to ohio state uh in the in the natty where we're around there. We're in the realm, okay? We're in. It's a new team. We got an Alabama coach, Mario Cristobal. We're uh, right. we're a bruising team. We're not. We're not the spread it out gun. We're pro style now. I didn't we're, even know that, dude. I loved Oregon back in the day. I played NCAA football. I was oh running yeah. At Oregon, I was running the ball with uh, Dennis Dixon. Oh, oh, Dennis. Oh my, the 2007 year, beautiful. Oh. Oregon climbs to number two. Dennis Dixon, the Statue of Liberty play, and then he gets hurt against Arizona and the season derails and we finish like yeah. seven and six. It was just absolutely one of the most brutal years to be a fan because we got all the way up to number two and then finished the year losing to the Beavers and then like losing in the bowl game. Not rough. <sighs> tough, 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 tough. But hey, right. football's Thanks great. So Fantasy football's great. Uh, you're great. Fandom's great. So... <laughs> I'll check out, I'll link Phantom down below. Go check out Phantom. There's stuff there for everybody. If you use Leaguepedia, you owe it to, to Brian to go check out Phantom. Check out what he's doing with D&D. 
And that's all for this Esports Network podcast. Check out that other one with Zan, too, if you want to learn more about Mutthead and the fandom community. There's so many things fandoms going on. Even I didn't know about them all. I'm learning new things as we go. So thank you all for listening. I'm Mitch Reams. This is the Esports Network podcast.